everybody. This is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been listening to the show, that's been supporting the show, that's been sending me messages, uh, telling your friends, spreading the word. It's all been very, very helpful. I've been receiving so many great messages. We've had so many great guests so far and plan to have so many more. I've been talking to so many great musicians, and it's been really great for me during this time because I don't see that many people. I don't see my friends very often. I don't get to make music with people. So uh, connecting with people and talking about music and about their creative process and also just connecting with listeners and fans has been really great for me during this time. I've been in the studio. I've been working on a new album and releasing some music, but It's hard to do that all the time. It's hard to be creating all the time. It's not necessarily every day that a song pops into your head and you start writing. So this has been very inspiring, actually, to talk to all these artists and about how they create. And it's gotten me um, a lot of new ideas. Uh, I've also just been listening to a lot of podcasts during this time and drawing some inspiration from those as well. I love the Broken Record podcast put together by Ruben Gladwell. I also love Andy Frasco's podcast, Mark Marin's podcast. Suggest you guys check those out. Um, also check out Osiris Media. They put out a lot of great content. They help me put this show together. You can check them out at osirispod.com. So my guest today is uh, an incredible musician. I got to meet him a few years ago at the Rooster Walk Festival, where I actually ended up at the festival without a band because of flight cancellations. And he and his band were there. I had heard his name before, uh, but he and his band got together with me in the backstage, learned a bunch of my songs, went out and played an hour and a half to two hour set. And they backed me up. Uh, And of course, I backed him up as well. But then I watched his set and was so blown away I'm a fan of bluegrass music, but it's been so long since I've seen a group of musicians, especially young musicians, that put that much energy into the music and that much excitement. They had thousands of people dancing and grooving just like they were a loud rock band. So it was really, really cool to see him perform, but also to connect with him. And he's such a humble guy. He can sing great. He can play great. So I was really excited to have him on the show today and hearing his story was was really cool because like I said I know him but I got to know him uh, better during this this interview and I love when that happens Uh, I had obviously listened to him and read a little bit about him but he revealed a lot in this interview so without further ado I'd like to welcome an incredible songwriter guitarist and singer today's plus one Billy Strings How you holding up in the in quarantine? Um, you know, kind of like a roller coaster here. Yeah. Some days I'm like really stoked to just be able to relax and uh, kind of try to soak it in. Other days I'm like, "Fuck, am I a professional musician anymore?" Right. <laughs> I'm feeling the exact same thing. Certain days I'm so excited because I got my studio here, and but you know, it's weird making music by yourself. You know, I don't know if you've got your bandmates or or anyone around you. No. Yeah. No, uh, you know, Billy lives in uh, Boulder. Royal is here, 
but he hurt his paw, so he's not really playing at the moment. And I, I haven't really been around people anyways, so I haven't really been playing with anybody. And man, I, I know what you're saying. I just, like, I don't know. I like playing with other people a lot more. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. It's kind of like I was excited at first, and I started making all these tracks and trying to do all this this writing and stuff, but it's something with, without interaction. Music is not quite the same. <laughs> You know, Man, what's what's so weird is also like, you know, I'm always on on the road playing 200 gigs a year, just out there, and then it's like, God, when am I ever gonna find time to write? Like, I'm never gonna find time to write. Yeah. All of a sudden, I have all this time, and I haven't done shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. I've started to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, but it's hard, man. Sometimes, you know. All people have all different methods. I don't know how writing works for you, but a lot of times for me, it has to come out kind of out of nowhere. It does. It's not necessarily like I sit down and it just happens. It kind of has yeah. to be like, oh, this idea pops into my head and I kind of put it in my notes or something, and then eventually flesh it out. But it's right. hard for me just to say, okay, it's time to write, and then something just comes, you know? Yeah, it's really hard to do that. Um, I've been pretty unsuccessful kind of approaching it that way myself except maybe not because uh Lindsay Liu and I have done these um experience what do you what do you want to call it uh exercises yeah that's like you know she's at her house and I'm at my house and it's like okay we're gonna start at nine o'clock in the morning and at seven o'clock at night we're gonna get together we're gonna we're each gonna write ten songs today, and then at seven o'clock tonight, we're gonna show each other what we got. Right. And and we've done that before. And you might only get four or five, or you might get you know ten really stupid ones, or you might get three decent ones. Um, I ended up you know getting about five songs a day or something, most of which were pretty, you know, I, that I never used for anything, but. I think two of the songs on my last record came out of that exercise, which is really strange, you know, because those songs did come out of a, a session where I just sat down and I was like, okay, I'm going to write some songs today. And then, you know, several hours of just sitting there trying to do that. I think the, the key to that is having someone else involved. And like you're saying, maybe they're not directly sitting next to you, but having that accountability, okay, I got to have a certain amount done because I'm going to tell, yeah. I'm going to show it to somebody. Um, totally. And the times we're sitting down with the intention to write where it has worked for me has been with other people. You know, like I set up a writing session with somebody. Right. Um, hopefully somebody that I have like a good rapport with and uh, that will work. It's really more just like when I'm like sitting here by myself um, yeah. You know, I end up just like tinking around with sounds and stuff. And sometimes an idea will pop out of it. It's not like it's it's for nothing. But yeah, I think it's good to do exercises. Do you use like a certain guitar for writing? Um, I kind of jump around all over the place. I do have one yeah. acoustic guitar that's kind of like, honestly, my shittiest instrument. But I love writing on that. Yeah. Uh, it's just like this weird parlor guitar. And uh, there's I something to that. Yeah. For sure. Like, there's something to... I have sort of a similar situation. I have this old silver tone, plywood, you know, shitty little house brand guitar that I got for free. And uh, 
you know, it's not very comfortable to play or anything. So that makes you not want to noodle around up the neck all day. <laughs> yeah. Like, Meat and you know, potatoes. you actually like, yeah, you actually get some chords going. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, there's something about that. Like if I pick up my, my old, you know, 48 D28 or something, then I'm just going to sit there and just like hit the G string and just listen to the tone of it. Right. Right. <laughs> just like admire the guitar too much to get anything done. Yeah. Yeah. I also find playing piano. I mean, I'm not like a great piano player, but I can get around on it. It'll at least take me out of my normal box or whatever. And, and I like writing on piano. Um, and open tunings recently has been kind of inspiring for me a little bit too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I do a little bit of that, like on mandolin or if I'm going to write a bluegrass song, sometimes they start out on banjo. Right. And then, right. Uh, and then, you know, basically just get the chords going and then switch it to guitar because, you know, obviously Billy Failing is going to end up playing the banjo on it. And then, yeah. uh, that way, you know, like it's really fun to, to do that with a band too, because then it's like, you know, I wrote this banjo part and then I eventually I switch it to guitar. And then now I don't really tell Billy what I played before and he can come up with his own shit. That's like all him, you know, and, totally. um, giving people that sort of, uh, creative input and, uh, you know, they're, they're then part of the actual, uh, song, you know? That's what's beautiful about working with a band is, you know, you can have this nugget of an idea and then when all these other people kind of breathe life into it, it becomes a whole different being, you know? Totally. When did you start writing? When did that become a part of your music, like write, playing your own songs? Well, I wrote my first song when I was, I guess the first song that I wrote with lyrics, um, was when I was 16. Um, before that, I had written compositions in bands that I was in. I had helped write the songs for the bands, and the vocalists would always just write the lyrics. Right, right. Um, it was like we would sit in a room, like in the metal band that I was in, and in the you know the other like electric bands that I was in. We'd just sit in a room and like figure shit out. And then while we were all jamming, doing that shit, figuring out the melodies and the riffs. Um, homie would just be sitting there writing shit down and then he would just try to sing shit over it um, or scream shit over it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then, you know, back then it was, I wasn't really writing anything except for uh, instrumental stuff. And one time when I was 16, it was a strange time. I was actually coming down from some kind of, I was doing hard drugs Yeah. and I was coming down from hard drugs And all of a sudden I just fucking, instead of like being this terrible feeling, like coming down, it was almost like I just started writing this song. And for the next couple hours, I just like sat there and I was really tuned into it and invested in it. And like, you know, I don't know. And did that, did, did the lyrics come first in that particular case? Like, did you write the lyrics and then the song and the music came after, or was it kind of simultaneous? Simultaneous. Yeah. It was very much, I'm sitting there playing my guitar. I came up with like some chords and a little melody. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually what happens is I write the melody and the, you know, the chords obviously follow that. And then, uh, 
then I'll be like, okay, now the lyrics can, you know, what, what does this stuff that I'm playing make me think of? Or what, what, what should I sing over this? You know? Um, but yeah, I wrote my first one when I was 16 and then I didn't really write again for a while. I just played in bands and, um, you know, played a lot of bluegrass stuff. Even when I was playing bars and little clubs and shit for, for a long time, I just played all the old bluegrass stuff and, um, shit. Most people don't know all those songs anyways, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And was that your intro, like your first introduction into music? Was it bluegrass? Yeah. And that was with your stepdad, right? And he's a, he's, you still play together, right? Terry Barber. Right. Yeah. And so how old were you when you first picked up an in, for an instrument? Was it guitar first? My first guitar was this little, oh hell, I don't know, like, like Fisher Price. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it was like a little plastic toy, you know, and, and it was, it had these wicked triangle and cool, you know, trapezoid shapes and stuff. And there was plastic buttons all down the fretboard. Yeah. And then there was a sound hole. And on the sound hole, there was actually a speaker there and it had these horizontal plastic ridges um, going, you know, the same direction as guitar strings. So my dad gave me a pick and I could actually scratch on that little guitar and make like percussive sounds. And um, so that was when I was like three, like in my high chair, you know? Wow. Yeah. There's some VHS footage or there used to be somewhere of like my dad and his friends are picking and I'm like in my high chair playing that little guitar trying to keep up with like spaghetti all over my face or some shit. <laughs> That's um, great. So from there, my first real guitar was, I think I was about four years old and we were walking through this antique store in Ionia. My mom always likes antiques and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. she likes to decorate with like old, cool, rusty shit. Yeah. Um, so we're walking through this antique store and when we turned this corner, man, it was like this light was shining right down on this guitar and it was like a little like parlor size, you know, like kind of one of these house brand guitars. I think it was, uh, the name on it was Norma. That's what it said on the headstock. Okay. I think okay. Norma, it was like, you know, the painted on uh wood grain sunburst. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And then the bridge had like the little metal thing that connects down to like by the end pin and then there was like a floating bridge yep it what didn't have f holes it, it had a, a a sound hole but it had like it was basically like an arch top kind of style right i'm looking um, at my silver tone right now which is very similar in, in what yeah yeah so i saw that thing and the light was shining right on it and i just threw a fit you know <laughs> i mean I was like, I need yeah, it. Had to have it. My dad's like, my dad's like, shut up, dude. We don't have any money, you know. And yeah. I'm like, but this is, it's just my size, and yeah. you know, you could, you know, I need it. We can't leave here without it. I want it so bad. And so my dad looked in his wallet, and he had about twenty-five or thirty bucks in there. And, you know, the guitar was probably worth forty or something, fifty. And uh, the lady's like, man, he really seems like he wants it. Why don't you take it for twenty-five bucks or whatever? So that was my first guitar, man. And uh, my dad gave me a capo. He taught me G, C, and D. And then he taught me how the capo can, you know, like, move I can move anywhere. it around. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then all of a sudden, I could learn a lot of different songs, man. Long Journey Home, Beaumont Rag, Don't Let Your Deal Go Down, uh, Salt Creek. uh, All those tunes I started learning, you know, by the time I was about six years old, I could actually play the rhythm. Wow. Um, You know, and I was my dad's little sidekick, man. He would would play all the lead. uh, And so I would just hang on and play rhythm and my dad had some buddies that would pick you know played banjo and stuff like that so we had a little a little group of pickers that you know we would just go hang out at this campground uh called barkus park uh, around where i grew up and we'd just sit around the bonfire and pick and go fishing and my childhood was great like that man, man uh, that up sounds until, perfect <laughs> yeah yeah like when i was a little kid things were just amazing like that and then when i got a little older shit got different you know i was introduced to substance abuse and all that shit sort of started to take over right and uh almost like a big storm cloud but but man when i think about my early childhood you know when i was five six seven eight years old those were good times man we were sitting around the fire playing music i was i was so interested in all that music it was because my dad was, um, he's cool as fuck, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, he's like the life of the party. Like everybody loves Terry. Yeah. Um, he's, he's playing songs. He's a nice guy. He's a sweetheart. He's like, you know, he, everybody's gathered around smoking joints and pass, you know, like having a few beers and, and my dad's like entertaining everybody singing yeah. the songs and like, he would be singing songs all night long, dude, till, till like, you know, for so long, just until it like his face was like red arm and he sings, <laughs> he sings like so strong. And, um, were God, you singing I mean, at I, that time too? Or was that, did that develop later for you? It developed a little bit later. I mean, I tried to start singing around that time. I remember, I remember I used to sing and I always used to jump octaves right? because I could only, you know, I would sing it like really high and then if there was a part that went higher, I would sing it low or something like, you know, my voice was too high to, to really, I don't, I don't really know what was happening, but I remember like jumping octaves all the time on like right. the wrong, on the wrong shit. It was just not right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's this one great story where there was this uh, little VFW hall down the road and it was like where the old folks played bingo and shit. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, dude, I was like seven years old and I was always hanging out with people like that, like, you know, old folks that love bluegrass and shit. And I'm just like this little kid. So it's kind of hilarious, you know, to think about like this little kid, like, you know, hanging out with like 60 year old men that like love Bill Monroe. Yeah. Um, But there was this uh, VFW hall and they had these jams there and it was called the Maple River Strummers. Uh, it was right on the Maple River, and yeah. there was this old old guy that was kind of the host, and they would have these jams there. You know, Martha has her hammer, hammer dulcimer, and uh, you know everybody's got their music stands, and they would sing like old Hank Williams songs and sometimes bluegrass songs, and you know Rocky Top and stuff like that. It's like the bingo crowd. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so I would go pick with them, you know. And my dad he wouldn't go all the time because it wasn't like. I don't know. He would go occasionally and like light the place on fire. Right, right. And then, you know, but he wouldn't go like every week. And I wanted to go every week. Yeah. Sometimes I started going even when my dad didn't go. 
yeah. like just to play music with people. Um, but there was this one time when I was there and I remember I used to have to like stand on a chair to reach the microphone Wow, or something like that. Like, you know, the lowest they could get it was I still had to stand on a chair to reach it or something. So I'm standing on this chair and I, I climb up there and I go, you know, I look out at the crowd or something, which is all these old ladies. And, and I'm like, are we getting paid for this for crying out loud? <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, I, I think I just heard somebody say for crying out loud. And I just wanted to use that phrase, yeah, yeah. you know, and all these, all these people just erupted laughing and thought it was hilarious. And then we did Folsom prison blues, man. And I, that was the one solo that I could do. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it was man thinking about those times. just so I had a, 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 not quite the same experience, but in my house, my dad would host a lot of jam sessions and he played mandolin and my brother played banjo and I played guitar so, you know, I did actually play some bluegrass for a while. I kind of then went away from it and kind of have, you know, flirted with it ever since, actually. But um, I would play the rhythm parts. And specifically, I remember playing Salt Creek. And uh, my dad would play the the melody and my brother would play. And then whenever I would, like, try to come off of the chords, my dad would say, when you have a kid, you can play lead and he can play rhythm. But for now, you're playing rhythm. <laughs> so that was, that. <laughs> I was like, I had to, but it was good because I had to like really get my, you know, my foundation together. Man, it's so important. I mean, I think honestly, like, I don't know. I think that's, if I've learned anything on guitar, I think it was very important that I started playing rhythm first and just, you know, there's a way that the chords, especially in bluegrass music, I mean, a lot of the songs are familiar. The way the harmony works, um, learning those songs, like playing rhythm made me listen to the melody more than probably if I was trying to play lead on, on stuff. Like there was this one time when I was a little kid where we were playing Beaumont Rag. I was learning Beaumont Rag and I kept messing up the B part. And this is where I realized that melody is important and like, you know, not to just go, okay, we're on a, and then count to four. And then now we go to D and count to four. Yeah. Uh, it's like, no, listen to what the melody's saying and you don't even have to count. Yes. You know, totally. That's interesting. Cause I think about that a lot when I play with Phil Lesh and doing a lot of the grateful dead music, it's like, you can't think about the charts or the rhythm. You have to think about the lyrics and the melody in order to follow those songs. You know, it's not, yeah. they're not really, especially Robert Hunter, Jerry, like they wrote a story and there wasn't about 16 bars of this and four bars of that. Um, so that was, that was a crucial uh, learning experience for me because learning that many songs, it was more about having it on while I was living my life and letting it, it letting it absorb into me than to like sit down and look at a chart, you know? Totally. Yeah. And so learning, you know, that's how I've always learned and that's how I still play. And, you know, it's very much by ear. Yeah. So now, nowadays that, you know, I live in Nashville and sometimes I get sessions and I've even gotten to some sessions where the tunes were kind of difficult. And, um, 
It's hard because I don't have that like vocabulary, like right. the, you know, a lot of times I don't, I, I don't know the language. I don't know music theory. I don't know all of that stuff, but if, you know, I, I know the sounds, like yeah. if you need this certain chord, I might not be able to play the chord for you if you just tell me the name of it. But if you play the chord, I can play it. Right. Right. You can hear like, it. Yeah. And what was it like for you as a kid being a fan of bluegrass music? Were there other people, other kids your age into that? Or were you kind of like complete outcast by being into that music? Yeah, man. It's like, it seems like I was best friends with my dad. Yeah. And, uh, like, I mean, if he wore Levi's, I wore Levi's. And if he wore a ball cap, I wore a ball cap. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I was just his little sidekick, like I said. But yeah, I rode, you know, I would ride bikes with friends and, and you know, do all the regular uh, neighbor, neighborhood shit. Yeah. I think it was about middle school. When I, when I got into the metal band shit. Yeah. That's, that's when I, when I started playing electric guitar. You know, there was a point where I was in middle school and even maybe a part of high school where I didn't necessarily go around telling everybody that I played bluegrass. I mean, it's not it's not that I was embarrassed about it, but it it's like the music that I played with my dad and like old folks. You know, so it's like and I, I there wasn't any other people my age to really pick with. There was one kid who played mandolin, but we weren't really that close at the time. Uh, like when I was a teenager, we we weren't like homies. Um, at at one point, it just changed. You know, when I was about sixteen or something, I realized it's kind of like I had this like epiphany where it's like, dude, I'm not supposed to be in the metal band. Like, my heart is like when I hear bluegrass music, it rips my heart apart. Like, it can make me cry. It can make me laugh out loud. Like, I love the technical proficiency of the players it's just oh, yeah. as cool as metal if yeah. not way cooler yeah totally. <laughs> you know but so it's like i just i sort of fell off i was like yeah this i'm supposed to play bluegrass i just realized that yeah um but you were in metal I, bands for for a few years there or rock bands in high school right. and stuff and was there a particular metal band that kind of drew you into that music or a particular well, album? Well, it was even? the, you know, um, I mean, I will say there's a band called Flesh and Blood Robot. Okay. And they have an album called The Sounds That Revolvers Make. Gotcha. Um, very local band. I mean, they're from Ionia, where I grew up. These are okay. like friend, friends of mine. And there was a band called No Life, K-N-O-W-L-Y-F-E. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, they're now called Heartsick. They're still a band, but they're called Heartsick. But um, okay. yeah, they had some cool shit back in the day. It was like, when I got into the local scene, um, it was because I wanted to play music with, with people that were my age, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the only this was the only stuff that people were playing, other than like jazz band, which I was a... A troublemaker, pothead, skateboarder, like I wasn't gonna be in jazz band. Right, I don't know. Right, right. It just wasn't my vibe. Um yeah, yeah. and then so I mean I I went for one day, I was gonna try it. And I don't know. I just I just after that first day I was like, Yeah, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> right, right. Then from the metal bands, you kind of 
traversed back to bluegrass, right? So you, you just kind of felt at, at a certain point, this is what I should be doing and this is where my heart is. It was a weird time for me. Like, um, like I said, uh, substance abuse and that kind of thing had really crept into my life among people that were very, you know, my family, uh, and was that from hanging out in like band music kind of scene or was it completely unrelated no, as far as doing No, that? that had nothing to do with music at all. Yeah, in fact, okay. the music's always been my salvation from all of that. Right. I mean, that's music's what's kept me given me something to focus on so that I don't, you know, end up being a bum. Right. But um I was in the metal bands and it was it was a like I said it was a weird kind of time for me. I was like you know, 15, 16 years old, a lot of meth and heroin and, you know, friends that I knew were like getting addicted to the shit like that. And right. a lot of people were kind of going downhill and I kind of was too, man. I had dropped out of school. Um, you know, I just failed all the time and I, all I did was fight with my teachers. I'm like, fuck you. You yeah, know? Yeah. Like, I don't, you have no idea what I'm going through. Like, you're a fucking, you know, like wrestling coach, math teacher guy yeah, with a short, yeah. like high and tight haircut, like pointing your finger in my face, telling me that I need to do this equation when I don't know where I'm staying tonight. Yeah. Like, you know, fuck algebra. Right. Um, right. So I just quit, you know, and I was drinking and partying and sleeping on other people, you know, just kind of couch surfing and, uh, I went out to my parents' house, and I used to go booze cruising out on the back roads in my mom's Chevelle. Right. I would like I would steal her keys, and this was before I was even old enough to drive and shit. I was fifteen, sixteen. But we lived out sort of in the country. You know, you could just drive a couple blocks away, and you'd be out on Hayes Road, way out in the country. So this one time, I was drunk by myself with a bottle of vodka, riding shotgun, just being reckless. I was taking that car out on Hayes Road and trying to see how fast I could get it to go while I was wasted. Right, right. You know, and it's just a straight line, cornfields on either side. But I was going pretty fast, and I was sad at the time. I remember, you know, like drinking. I don't know if I had just been through a breakup or what, but I was just drinking to fucking drink. I don't know. And... um I realized there was a tape hanging out of the deck. And I was like, oh, I wonder what my mom's been listening to. So I pushed it in, and it was the Stanley Brothers, Rank Stranger. Oh, yeah. And when it came on, I just like, the sound, you know, like it reminded me of my childhood before all the bad shit. It just took me right back to like, a time before I ever knew any darkness at all. And I just started slowing down and I just sort of pulled over and man, that music hit me so hard that it was literally like, I, I remember in that moment being like, I need to get an acoustic guitar and like go start playing, you know? And it's also a, a bond thing with my dad. It's so special for me. It's like, I need to go play some bluegrass with my dad again. Like yeah. that would be good. You know, so from then, I I borrowed my friend Zach's uh, shitty Ibanez acoustic guitar, and I went over to my folks' house, and I was like trying to, uh, you know, learn Salt Creek and shit like that. 
And at this time, dude, every time I tried to play Salt Creek, I would just do like these blues, like pentatonic, like, you know, like, okay. I'm like, how the fuck are you playing that dad? And he would play it for me. And I I knew how to take like a, a blues solo on an electric guitar or something like that. I did not understand playing the melody. And that's when my dad taught me about that. And that's like when I was about 15, 16, that's when I started actually trying to flat pick like, uh, you know, learning Doc Watson tunes and stuff like that. And man, it wasn't very much longer after that. I wasn't in a metal band anymore. And I was just trying to learn how to play bluegrass with my dad. And, uh, I was just so infatuated with it. I dove back into Doc Watson so deep. And I mean, there were still times where I was like doing drugs and shit, like, but there were times where I would do drugs and then stay up for like two days, just like learning all this Doc Watson shit. (laughs) Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. you start playing with other people soon after that like how did you start finding musicians to play with were there other like contemporary bluegrass bands that you were like that you could go see on a regular basis i mean it feels like there was kind of a resurgence in the last 10 15 years of like younger people playing bluegrass were you aware of that i was completely and utterly unaware of that got you got you I I thought bluegrass was for old people and young people thought it was lame and my idea of bluegrass is Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs and Jimmy Martin, Larry Sparks, you know. Yeah. Ralph yeah. Stanley, Bill Monroe. I had no fucking idea that there was bands like the String Dusters and Green Sky and you know, string cheese incident, leftover salmon, any of these like bands that are kind of more that have a foot in the door of the jam scene. I hadn't, I had no idea that that existed until, I mean, let's see, I graduated high school a year late in 2011. Right. And I mean, I barely just, (laughs) I can't even believe I did graduate, but I did. Um, anyways, I graduated in 2011. Then I moved up to, to Traverse city, which was a lot different than where I was from. It was, you know, that was right on Lake Michigan. It was like sunshiny and there was like beaches and volleyball and just like, fuck yeah, this is happening, man. And then it was like a little artsy community too. Like, you know, painters and there was like micro breweries popping up and like just that whole kind of like a nice artsy little community. And that's where I met Don Julin, um, who kind of showed me how to make a living doing this. Like, uh, I was working at the hotel at the time and then we would play gigs. Um, it's like, it was crazy, dude. I would, I would be out till, you know, two in the morning playing music and then by seven o'clock in the morning, I'm back at work Right there till six at night by nine o'clock at night. I'm back on stage. Right. Right. 
and I was burning the candle at both ends. And uh, I did that for a while until I realized that I could quit my day job and I was probably making enough money playing music to su- survive. So, And this was like, was like a bar or a local, was this like different venues throughout that area or, or were you kind of having a regular right, yeah, gig? Th- yeah, well, we had a Thursday night gig at this little place called uh, Little Bohemia. And uh, and then we would play, yeah, breweries and um, stuff like that. You know, we'd play like Grand Rapids and Traverse City and, you know, around Michigan. And then eventually we sort of started to venture out. You know, when I was 19, I just got off probation. Actually, I wasn't even off probation yet, and I decided to go on this tour. Luckily, that all worked out because, you know, like I I was supposed to still have one final meeting with my probation officer. And I was like, fuck it. We got to hit the road like we got these gigs. So see ya. I'm hitting the road. Turned out that dude like retired or something at that same time. So I didn't even like they just let me go. You know, it was just sweet. But yeah, I was 19 when I went on my first like cross country tour. And I haven't stopped since then. And was know? that, uh, and that was with Don Julian. Right. Right. And then how did that evolve into you doing your own thing? Well, we worked so hard that we got bitter towards each other. And, um, you know, there was, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. So I think there was a, I mean, it got sort of nasty and yeah, just eventually I couldn't do it anymore. You know, and it, that it was, was like, under what? his name, that, that group that you were touring with. Well, it was Billy Strings and Don Julian. It was fifty oh, okay, fifty. It. it was a got duo. It. Got it. And um Yeah, we just I feel like we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. So eventually I was like, Hey, you know, I don't think this is gonna work anymore and so we went our own separate ways and that's when I moved to Nashville and uh met Billy Failing pretty much right after moving here. Yeah. At a at a picking party. I was like, What's up, man? What what are you up to? what's your gig you know he's like i don't have a gig you do now yeah <laughs> how did you, you know? meet royal i'm curious i met him at a fish concert oh yeah um here in nashville and i i heard about him before then i love he's him a great, man i love royal. god he's such a great player man yeah. um and yeah such a great dude like yeah i love him too we're 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 close yeah he's but, got um, a great energy too Totally. And he's so good. Very fun to play with. Yeah. Like extremely fun to play with. Um, I met him, like I heard about him because I guess he was sort of looking for a gig at one point too. And somebody told me, I think it was my friend, John Mylander, who's an excellent fiddle player. He, uh, he was like, man, my buddy Royal is like looking for a gig and he's really good at bass. You should check him out. And I was like, ah, well, we already just hired this one guy. You know, and one guy didn't work out. So when I was at that fish show, I was tripping. It was my first fish concert that <laughs> yeah. I've ever been to. And yeah. it was the night that Bob came out and sang. Oh, cool. Cool. Just like so awesome. Such a cool first show. Um, But I was tripping and watching this show and trying to figure out what the hell was going on up there. And then out of the crowd, here comes Royal and he's like, Hey dude. And like, we had talked like a little bit before that about jamming, you know? And it's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. We should jam sometime. That'd be great. I can't give you the gig, but 
you know? So then he like comes out of the crowd and he's like, what's up? And we're like talking and I'm like so awkward. <laughs> I'm just like, because I'm like tripping and I'm reading too far into stuff. And I think he like wants the gig and I just hired yeah. this other guy and I'm like, Oh shit. Like he, like he's a great, like he's actually the better musician. And yeah. like, I, I want, I want to hire him, but I just hired this other guy and I can't just like fire him because you're a better player. And yeah. you know, like, fuck, you know, <laughs> like I, it, it was just weird. I'm like, he, you know, so I think our first interaction was actually kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, funny, but after that, after that, man, you know, we ended up getting together. He stuck, he swung by. Oh God. Our first gig was a riot, dude. We played at this like big party, you know, the Terrapin farm up in like Kentucky somewhere. I don't think so. It's like some little fam, like these, it's like a family little farm or something, but they have these crazy parties out there. Like it was like a music festival that was just like at somebody's house. And I mean, huge fires, naked people everywhere, all kinds of whatever kind of uh, shit you want to get into. I mean, there was just, it was nuts. And that was our first gig. You know, and I think he thought he was like joining a bluegrass band or something. And like, we're like our first gig. There's like, you know, some dude with like his dick out right in the front row. It's like, <laughs> so, like so, so what do you think, man? You want to, you want to keep playing with us? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, man. so awesome. Well, I remember the first time I met you was actually an interesting story because I had heard of you through a friend of mine in Asheville who showed me like a video of you. And this must have been like 2015 or 16, maybe. But 2017, because I looked it up today to figure out when that was, I was scheduled to play the Rooster Walk Festival that you guys were also on. And there had been some crazy storm or something. And I was flying in that day. And my band was flying in from a few different places. I landed and none of my band got there. And (laughs) I... Ended up, and I was supposed to get picked up by someone else. And there was this whole arrangement. It was the first show of like a little tour that we were doing. And uh, on the way to the gig, I call the promoter and I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm showing up, but my band is not going to make it, it looks like. And he was like, well, do you know Billy Strings? I'm like, I've heard, I've heard of him. He was like, okay, well, let me just like get you on the phone with him or whatever. And I think I'm driving, I don't know, I'm cruising <laughs> in this rental, like trying, cause I also got delayed like six times and I, I get there and I can't remember if you guys were already on stage or what was going on. I think maybe you got, did you guys play first or was my set first? I can't, I, I can't really remember, but I just remember showing up. I was like, hey, man, I'm Eric. And you're like, I'm Billy. And then I'm like, and basically what happened was the the uh, promoter asked you and then I, and, and you agreed to basically be my band <laughs> for my set, <laughs> which was, you know, and like my band's kind of like a rock band. And I'm like, oh, man, I wonder how this is going to work out. And we get we get in the backstage there and I played you guys a couple of my songs and we ended up working out like an hour or maybe even an hour and a half set in like five minutes. And then the, we all went on stage and played the whole set. I actually listened to a little bit of it this morning and it's pretty great. I mean, it's like the fact is I showed up there with like my little SG and you guys had your acoustic whole setup and and we played a set together without barely even meeting each other. 
Um, but that shows like how gracious you guys are. And, uh, and you got, it was a f- amazing set. And then I remember watching your set and being, I think I sat in with you guys too, but my jaw was on the floor. Cause I knew about you, but I did not know really what you did and how great your band was. And you guys brought this energy that did not feel like bluegrass. I felt like I was at a rock and roll concert, you know? And I, that's what I, when I talk about you to other people, cause you know, I'm a, I'm also a bluegrass fan. So I, I, I was ready to like it no matter what, but even my friends that don't like bluegrass per se or haven't it's not even that they don't like it they just don't know know it really right uh when i play them your music or i've brought people to come see you at a festival or whatever they always come away f a fan so i think partly what you're doing whether you know it or not is actually turning people on to bluegrass period um and also kind of being a part of like an evolution of it too because i think you're incorporating a lot of elements of other styles of music into it not even necessarily like musically it's more like the energy you guys put into the show and the way you guys present it so anyway i had to say that because that was such a cool night for me that ended that started which you know the first 60 percent of that day was maybe the worst day ever and then the last (laughs) four or five hours were so much fun and i really attest that to you and you guys um you know, pulling through for me on that. And, uh, oh, that night was, was memorable for sure, man. I'm pretty much always down to play, you know, especially with, you know, like I had heard about you and I, I've listened to soul live and, um, our mandolin player at the time, Drew Matlich, he's actually a pretty big soul live fan. I remember talking to him for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, when we used to be on tour, like he was always jamming that shit in the van. So, it was almost like I was really excited to meet you too, like because I already, you know, had heard about you and like liked your playing and shit. So, yeah. So yeah, it was like you know Johnny was like you know can you do this? I'm like fuck yeah, dude, we'll jam with Krasno and my ba- you know Royal and everybody's like really like we get to play with Krasno, sweet. <laughs> well, I appreciate your willingness, uh, especially in front of like a pretty big crowd to just kind of go for it. You know, not a lot, not a lot of people hey, would man, have the ball. It was your set, dude. If it sucked, <laughs> it wasn't our fault. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, it definitely exceeded every expectation that I had, um, and I had a really great time. And it kind of made it something that was unlike any other set I've ever done. So, you know, I, yeah, it I was, was definitely fun. I was up for it. So I wanted to ask you if you have like a moment, um, in your career in the last few years, or even a couple that you could mention that you kind of can look back at as like a turning point for you, or just even like a really, um, memorable mark, you know, in your, um, time as a musician or as an artist. Man, we played the Ryman uh, a little while back. Well, we did it one night where we like headlined, but the time that we played it before that, we opened for the Del McCurry Band. Cool. And this was my first time playing the Ryman. And, um, you know, that place is so magical and special. And Oh, yeah. It's just there's so much history there, especially as a bluegrass musician. To think about Bill Monroe 
you know, coming out on that stage and singing Mule Skinner Blues and early songs like that on the, on the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, I've learned about that stuff my whole life. It's just, it's historical. It's, it's amazing. So my dad and mom came down for the show. And uh, after we played, Del McCurry Band played, of course, and, and Del invited me and my dad to come out and sing with them. Wow. And so me and my dad and Del sang the Lonesome River, which is just this huge three-part harmony song. And I sang lead, and my dad sang tenor, and Del grabbed the high baritone at the Ryman, you know, with Del McCurry and my dad. Just like this beautiful full circle moment, you know, like, um, wow, you know, to be able to share that with my dad and stuff and uh, be able to introduce him to Dell and all that, you know, and um, to be able to play at the Ryman, you know, and I'm just like sitting there like, wow, Elvis played here, like Hank Williams, you know, debuted songs here. Like, this is just insane. And it was such a special moment, you know, that I'll always remember. Again, because of my father, you know, that's, he's the reason that I'm in this stuff and, and he's the reason that I have a good life, you know, is because he taught me about this music and he never pushed it on me. He made it seem cool to where I wanted to do it, you know? And it's like, now I have a good life because of that. And I'm really, I mean, I owe him, you know? And I've seen you guys have done some duo shows together. Um, yeah, dude, he's, he's the total badass. Yeah. I hope to catch one of those one of these days. Like what he has, like, I think it's just like the authentic way that he, um, portrays the emotion of a song when he plays it. I mean, it's like whatever he has, I think a lot of people are lacking, you know, (laughs) I, I don't know what that is, but I think it's just like, Basically, he's able to put his heart right into yours and just, you know, like put the feeling into the song where it's just like you can't not dig that. And uh, what do you guys have uh, going on now? I mean, obviously, nothing right this moment. Um, but did you guys have, a, did, were you guys planning to be on tour this summer? Well, I've completely changed industries. Now I'm an auto mechanic. So <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if I'll be doing any tours anytime soon, but <laughs> I will be tinkering on my cars. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, man. We, we really don't know what we're going to do. We're just sort of kind of waiting and yeah, waiting to see. God, I can't wait to fucking play again. You know? Well, you put out an album in October. Actually, I remember that cause it came out on the same day as my last album. Um, called home and you guys have been pretty much on the road since that record came out. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty much we, we did, uh, we, we did quite a few dates or at least it felt like quite a few after it came out, but yeah, I mean, now we've been pretty much home since the beginning of March or whatever. Right. I've seen you've done a few, like live stream concerts from your place, right? Yeah, man, that stuff sucks. <laughs> it's been really it's hard. hard to do that stuff, man. I've been doing some, I've been getting asked to do a lot of it and it's, 
It's hard, man. I'm not that kind of music. Like I, I need to play with other people. I mean, I can play a few songs, but it's also weird when no one's actually right in front of you interacting with you. Yeah, it's so weird. And it's also just like setting up all the stuff. I mean, I've learned a bunch about like how to do it now, which is yeah. fun. And, um, you know, I've got the right mics and everything and I can do it. But yeah, it's just so every time I've done it, like if I actually played like a set from my living room afterwards, I felt really good. Yeah. But like before, during setup, like during the actual performance, like, no. <laughs> it does not feel good. But afterwards, it's like, hey, we just threw a party for people in our living room. That's pretty cool. Like, yeah, you should feel good about that. But like during the performance, it's like, oh, God. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, no, and it's strange. It's strange when you're not interacting with people. I know I've said that a few times, but it's just, it's hard to look at a camera and get energy from that. Because I feel like a performance is an energy exchange, too. It's not just one sided. You know, totally. Yeah. I mean, any good one anyways, for sure. Um, but like, yeah, this stuff is, it's been strange. Um, I really like doing the live things. I'd rather just click go live and play for people than have a pre pre-recorded thing because that's just like, man, I will go back and play that shit a hundred times before I think it's good enough. And it's still really not. <laughs> that is true too. I, I've been doing like Instagram live sometimes and I much prefer, I definitely prefer that than to like record myself. Cause I'll do the same thing. I'll do it way too many times and overthink it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like when you mess up in your live, you, you're just like, Oh, well, whatever. You know, if you, when you mess up, when you know, you can go back, you're like, fuck. Wait, you know, do I really want to put that out there? Because I haven't, you know, I have the choice. <laughs> right, right. Having the choice sometimes ruins everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was curious about something that I noticed. I follow your Instagram and there was a guitar that you restored that was from, was it your grandfather's guitar? Is that what that was? Yeah, the prison guitar, man. Yeah, the prison. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, the first time I saw it, I was a little kid, and I was at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and I was snooping through the closet, and I found this old, I found two really interesting things that day. That's why I remember this, is because I found that old guitar, and and then I found this, like, like three and a half foot tall, like, actual, like, it was so realistic, like this John Wayne, like, model character doll thing it was like it was like almost as tall as me and i was a little kid but he had like a real little vest and shit and like a little gun it's like holy shit this john wayne thing's badass and what the hell is this guitar and so i was like a little kid when that happens and then you know fast forward to a couple years ago that memory just came back to me and my grandma and grandpa have been dead and gone for a long you know since 2001 you know and when my grandpa died and uh so i was like wait a minute and then i called my mom like mom didn't grandpa used to have like an electric guitar in his closet that was like all fucked up and ripped apart and here she's like yeah that's the one that he made your uncle bill has it so i called my uncle hey you got this guitar that grandpa made He's like, yeah, it's in my basement. 
And I was like, can I have it? I'll get it working again. So this guitar my grandpa made while he was in prison in the early 60s. He uh, he was in there from 1960 to ni- sometime in 1962. And he built this guitar while he was in there. And it's uh, it's all cedar. The neck is cedar. The body is cedar. It's solid body. Um, this really interesting pit guard that was like all shaped and there's like I knew my grandpa as like a I'm like auto mechanic he could restore cars everything from the drivetrain to the paint to everything uh he was a carpenter you know he drywall roofing any of that shit I never knew him as a luthier at all right but he made a couple guitars actually he made an acoustic as well that just that one didn't last because somebody set it next to a heater. But um, he made this guitar while he was in prison, man. I think it was made out of a table. Um, oh, crazy. Like, like the body is like the table and the neck was made out of the leg of a table because a lot of furniture back then would have been made out of cedar and shit. Um, it has a, a like an old, like a 1960s Gibson acoustic guitar fretboard on it. It's Brazilian. Wow. Um, so that's really cool. And um, there's like, if you take the pit guard off, the whole, all the routing under there is all done by one like quarter sized bit. You know, he had one bit. So there's this huge cavity all underneath the pit guard of this guitar. And it's just a, like a hundred holes that are just drilled right, right. to like, you know, to, to make this cavity. And, uh, you know, the neck had no truss rod and it, it wasn't going to hold strings. So, um, yeah, I, I got the guitar back from my uncle and it's like, holy shit. There's like pieces of the guitar that are like filled with Bondo. Cause you know, my grandpa worked on cars and so he like, he missed like a, a piece, like he cut out too much, like where he needed to put a screw. So he would just like put Bondo in there. <laughs> screw into the bondo yeah yeah um anyways i got the guitar back and i gave it straight to my buddy J- dave johnson he's my luthier here in nashville that i use and yep. he's the best scale model guitars on instagram okay cool. um yeah and he's like holy shit I'm like yeah dude we got to restore this thing so he he did it, man. I mean, we had to true up the neck. We we put a maple spine in the middle of the neck with a truss rod in it, and then there's a carbon fiber rod on either side of it. Uh-huh. So the neck is the neck is rigid now. Yeah, yeah. And he actually had to like thicken up the back of the headstock because it was too thin for steel strings. And uh, we, I had some special pickups made for it. Uh, Steve Mather, this guy here in Nashville, made these pickups. They're kind of like a Charlie Christian vibe, like a single blade kind of pickup, but they're wound sort of hot. And then the the guitar has a blower switch on it, which is just like all three pickups bypass everything, go straight to the jack. Right, right. So that's it adds like a little treble and a little boost. Um, so that's pretty cool, man. It's it's amazing. It's got a big fat neck. Did you know of your your grandpa as a player? Did you know he played? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean he he would strum on the acoustic guitar and 
sing old country songs, you know. And uh, I remember because when he played, his thumb would turn black. He didn't use a thumb pick or nothing. He played with his thumb, but he just played with his thumb. Right, right. <laughs> and he would just strum songs. Yeah, he was he was cool as hell, dude. And have you been playing that guitar, the prison guitar? That's that's beginning to be my go-to electric. I had to get used to the bigger neck. Right. Um, but dude, it sounds awesome. The pickups are fucking sweet. Um, it's got this really like sizzly, like it's you know when you use like overdrive on it and stuff, it just has this great like sizzly tone. That's just it's awesome. I look forward to hearing that one or or playing it someday, hopefully. Yeah, you got to check it out, man. It's a pretty, like, active guitar. You know, it's a pretty, like, loud guitar, even acoustically, which is interesting. It's, it's like, it's resonant, you know? Have you messed around with building guitars yourself, or do you do you work on your, your own instruments at all? Um, A little bit. You know, I, I adjust my truss rod and stuff like that. If I, you know, if I'm on tour and it's like, God, my, you know my my action's too low it's you know i need or or too high or whatever you know i'll adjust my truss rod and um i've i've been in sticky situations where i've had to like you know file like i've filed my saddle down like on the grip tape of my skateboard before a gig (laughs) (laughs) like you know i've done shit like that before and i've stuck little like at one point i did that and i filed it too much on like on the the top so i put like a half like you know put like a half a piece of string underneath my saddle just on the first three strings to like even it out so then i you know when i bring my guitar back from tour and i bring it to dave and i'm like yeah you're gonna find all sorts of weird shit in there like i'm sorry (laughs) right right no i do the same shit man when i'm on the road i'll like tweak my guitar in all sorts of weird ways and bring it home and bring it home people be like what the hell did you do to that thing (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I just had to make it work in the moment. Do you play electric on the road ever? You know, like when I jammed with you in Austin and stuff, that's about the extent of what happens. You know? Right, right. So you bring it's one like, with you in, in case. Absolutely. You sounded yeah, great I, playing the Telecaster, man. You got to have oh, a vibe dude. on that thing. We, were, we played uh, In Memory of Elizabeth Reed. That was so fun. Yeah, man. That was a blast. That was really fun. And then, yeah, I just got that telly, and that was the first time I played it, and it was just like, that was a good time. So yeah, man, whenever I'm on tour, I bring an electric and I bring my electric pedal board and stuff. And it's like, not even just in case I'm like, I fucking hope somebody asked me to play this. Shit. <laughs> nice, nice. You know? And, uh, you know, there's been some good times. Like I'm always glad that I bring it because then when somebody, you know, pigeons or Umphreys or somebody asked me to sit in, you know, string cheese or something, I'm like, I always say this, like, do you want me to play acoustic or electric? I have both, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then whenever they say, well, electric would be cool, usually they say acoustic, and I'm like, oh, yeah. damn it. Damn it, I want to soar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always get excited to hear you play electric just to, you know, as like a little bit oh, of a different so thing. Oh, it's so weird. It's it's so different for me. Like, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think I do okay. And then other times I like if I listen back to what I did, it's like, oh God. You know, like we did this thing uh with Jack Pearson recently. Where or you know, we had a bunch of guests, but we played with Jack. And obviously anybody playing next next to Jack sounds like an idiot, but uh <laughs> it was like, oh God. I was like 
not bending the strings like into tune. I was like, not in tune. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's oh, like right. when when I go to acoustic and try to sit in with somebody, you know, and the, the note dies after like a millisecond, and you know, because a lot of my thing, like you said, I got a sore. I need to have that vibrato. I need that you to hear my vibrato because like I rely on that. Um, so when yeah. I go back, when I go back to playing acoustic and like trying to take the solo, it's 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 not fun. Oh man! Especially I just next some- to someone like you, who's like you know just playing all over that thing. Well, I think I almost have found a way to like do both, which is right. it's fucking crazy. But I um, recently the most I actually just got my guitar back from Dave a couple weeks ago, and what we did was. I've been trying to what I do is I have like my DI, my pedal board shit, effects, whatever. I have a line coming out of that that goes into a volume pedal, out of the volume pedal into a tube screamer or some sort of overdrive, usually a Chase Bliss uh brothers. Yeah. Um and then into an amp. And gotcha. so I can play and you know, usually the volume pedal is just off, and it's just my clean tone. But when I slowly work up the volume pedal, that amp kicks on, and so I put a layer of like overdrive underneath my clean channel, and it's just mic'd as a different channel to go to front of house, right, right, and into my ears. So, but I have a, I've you know, for the last couple of years, I've been using a K and K pickup, just the transducer one that goes under your bridge. So I started thinking about it, and um, I've I've had I've never gotten the overdrive to work on the acoustic guitar. Yeah, like it just the top of the guitar gets too excited, and it feeds back, and it just the tone's not good, and it's just I've never gotten it good. I've used it right. a bunch, but it's right. never been good. Um, but I put a magnetic a magnetic pickup in the sound hole with a switch, like a Les Paul, like yeah, yeah, uh, on my guitar so now i have the the one that i've always had and then i can switch to a magnetic pickup in the sound hole and it responds way, like you know basically like an electric guitar so it, it you know the, the overdrive like any pedal or any kind of gain accepts it a lot better right right so it's That's fucking cool. crazy i can actually like so i'm playing regular acoustic guitar and then I can switch over to the magnetic pickup and, and kick on the amp. And it's like yeah, pretty close to, it's just like an electric guitar with thicker strings and no cutaway. Right, right. It's cool. So I'm, you know, and uh, who knows when I'm actually going to get to use this Frankenstein setup. But. <laughs> it's like having the nitro you know, on, on, on the car, just like the extra boost. Dude, the extra gear. yeah. And like all the bluegrass people hate it. That's yeah. Have you run into that? Have you run into oh bluegrass God. I'm, haters? I'm, I'm the victim. I'm the main victim. Yeah. <laughs> and what are the what kind of things are they saying? Oh, I don't know. I mean, most of it's all just fun and games. But yeah, yeah they're yeah. you know I've definitely run across a lot of that shit. I mean, they're he sucks because he you know he uses a pickup and he puts his guitar through all these pedals and it sounds like shit and you know well haters haters gonna hate oh yeah and (laughs) i mean it's great i don't know well I, i i've seen way i've only seen praise um in 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 my circles and 
uh, there's this Facebook group. Actually, you shouldn't because it's a fucking cesspool. Yeah. But there's this bluegrass page called, or it's called like bluegrass shit posting. Okay. And all they do is like, just like make like stupid memes and shit on there. And there's been some really, really good ones. I was actually like, I looked at that stuff for a moment until I had to get off because it's, it's some, some of the people are actually just like, you know, being like playful and not being like cruel. But you know, then there's like some people who like fucking hate me. (laughs) And it's like, damn dude this is weird <laughs> well for the most part though i've been seeing you like i've been seeing rolling stone post stuff about you and a lot of like you're getting a lot of attention outside of blue the bluegrass world and whether you like it or not you're kind of like becoming the face of of young bluegrass i didn't even i mean whether there was young bluegrass even a few years ago i don't really know so you know how <laughs> If there's like a bucket of crabs, yeah, and one crab starts to climb to the top to try to get out, the other crabs will fucking <laughs> grab him and pull him back down. I know it, man. I know it. I and know that's it. bluegrass. Oh, that's interesting, man. Well, I don't <laughs> think anyone uh, deserves the attention more than you, man. And uh, I'm I'm a huge fan. I've been a fan since that day at Rooster Walk. I have been like telling everybody I know about you. Not that my um, contribution matters that much, but you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan, and I'm I'm always supporting everything you're doing, my man. Oh man, well I appreciate it, dude. We're we've been having a blast, you know. Like we're so we don't know what we're doing, you know. Like I don't know. I don't think anyone does. I think the whole thing is you keep your head down and you you make music you love. And it's, you know, what I love about your story is that you realized at a certain point, I really need to do this because this is where my, you know, this is the music I feel. And you're doing that and you're getting, you know, tons of attention from that. And you, you, you haven't changed what you're doing for anybody else, you know? So I think that's, that's why, uh, Cause it's real, you know, what you're doing is absolutely real. And I've seen like you, you've been adding shows places and selling out the Capitol theater and, and growing at like this really awesome pace and having people come to your shows that weren't necessarily bluegrass fans a couple of years ago. So I think that's a, it's a big deal. Because we, you know, we play different covers and sometimes even we go into, we might be playing a bluegrass song and take it into some different crazy territory or whatever, but Man, we have everybody from little kids to old folks to middle-aged, you know, hippies, freaking doctors and, uh, you know, just all walks of like metalheads even, you know, like dudes that are like sitting out there wearing a Slayer t-shirt with like long hair, like headbanging. Like, fuck yeah, yeah dude, that guy's, uh, that guy's here. Like, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I love that. I love that. People from all I, over the map. I love that too, man, because I love all sort, you know, all sorts of music and and people and just like yeah. um I love those characters. You no. Know, I, I it would be weird to just like have a a scene that was just like you know, all like one type of person. That's for sure. That's Wouldn't for sure. it? Wouldn't it, I mean, wouldn't it, what if you went to a show and it was like 
everybody there wore like flannel shirts and like <laughs> shorts or something. I mean, when we, I mean, it's not that different when Soul Live started. You know, we were an Oregon trio on the Blue Note label. And like we t- talked about earlier, I was never like a jazz guy, you know, but that's where we were coming from. So we would play, but then it was funny watching these different audiences converge because somehow we kind of got associated into the jam band world, but also had these, we, we would play play jazz venues and jazz festivals. So all of a nice. sudden you'd have like these old school jazz fans and hippies all converging in the same place, <laughs> whether yes. they liked it or not. But I loved that watching. That kind of reminds me happen. of like the Flectones vibe, you know, totally. it's like they, they like, you know, they just cross barriers in that way. It's, it's just, that's when shit gets interesting, man. Definitely. And that's when you start to, when those borders start to gray out and you start making music that is, that is part of an evolution, you know, and, and, totally. and busting through boundaries, you know? Yeah. And I've, you know, I've talked to, I mean, all those guys are friends of mine and, you know, like Bela and Sam and, yeah. and all those kind of new grass dudes. Um, and I've talked to Bela about that too. Like, you know, his jazz influence and stuff like he, at some point he just got really, uh, turned on to, uh, return to forever. And it's like, I want to start playing that kind of shit on the banjo. Like these guys are playing, like he's playing upright bass, like Chick Corea on piano and shit. And it's like, like, dude, I could do this on the banjo. And then, you know, and then I mean, Bela, we're talking about Bela Fleck here. He's genius. He's like, he's got enough mental capacity for all of this. But, and then, you know, later on for him to dive into the classical world and like actually just dive into all this other sorts of music, man, I would love to do that at some point. I would love to go like live in Brazil for a year and learn how to play Choro. You will, man. You know, he went to West. I know he spent time in West Africa and, and has done, I mean, Bela is one of those guys that's just done so much in his career he's definitely a guy that i look up to in a lot of ways i've actually gotten to spend a bunch of time with him too and just like mm-hmm. what an amazing dude and definitely someone who did not give a shit <laughs> about oh, yeah. uh you know listening to what anyone else told him you know he was incorporating every style of music into what he was doing I feel like most of the people that i really like that's what they did i mean shit that's what Bill Monroe did in the first place, you know? Right, right, right. It's like kind of mixing like country and Western style guitar with like, you know, the mandolin and uh, old time music and Appalachian music and just kind of this big musical goulash. Yeah. Speed it up, you know, and you get bluegrass. A lot of bluegrass is just fast blues. Uh, one time when I was hanging out with you guys, I think it was another festival. Damn, which one was that? I remember we were like leaving and you were coming and I met you. Was your it the rainy one? Yeah, when it was raining. And I, th- I I was like this guest at large or something like that. And I was like going to play with you guys. But I think something happened where things got rained out. I don't remember the whole story, but I remember hanging out with you guys and I met Uncle John. Oh, yeah. And... uh he was in. He was just like a character that I wanted to hang out with, and I remember we had to leave, and I was like, "Man, I want. I wish I had. Where's our Uncle John? We need an Uncle John in this band." Right. <laughs> so I was just like curious if you could tell a little something about Uncle John. He um, 
he just sort of showed up in our lives. Like I met him at a festival. So he's not your actual uncle. No. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. He's our spirit animal. Gotcha. He's, that makes sense. He's our lighthouse man in a storm. He's like, yeah. he's just a sweet guy that we love a lot. And, um, he's become a dear friend of ours and a part of our family. Um, so yeah, we just met him, you know, like at a festival or something. This was several years ago and I met him and I got one of his tie dyes, I think. And I told him, Hey man, if you ever come through Nashville and you need a place to stay or anything like that, like hit me up. Yeah. And he knew that I meant it. And so that meant a lot to him. He had been through sort of some, he lost his wife, which was very kind of hard for him. Um, she had been sick for a while and he was taking care of her and she finally let go and he didn't know what to do, man. So he started coming to every single one of our shows. I mean, we would be on tour out West in California and John would be behind our van following us in his Subaru. Yeah. And he came to every single show and he would eventually he started just helping out with stuff. Like, you know, he saw me cause back then I did everything. I was tour manager, driver, uh, merch person. I, I settled up at the end of the gig. I, you know, every single thing I did it all. So it's like, John saw that and he saw how stressed I was and shit. And he started helping me with the merch. You know, I get off stage and I realize John's back there selling merch. He didn't even ask me if, uh, if that was okay, because I probably would have told him no, but so he just like went for it, you know, and was like, Hey, I sold some shirts. I put the money in the top drawer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, thanks, John. And then, you know, like we, he just became part of our family, man. And now he's one of our best friends. He's, he's a sweetheart. So I think he just started an Instagram. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, shout out to uncle John. And that actually made me think about something because in this whole COVID quarantine era, a lot of um, crew members and people behind the scenes have been out of work. So I've been trying to, you know, spread the word on like the sweet, sweet relief music fund and some of these other, um, and I, I'm not, you know, not that uncle John is, is necessarily an employee of yours, but it just got me thinking that um, so many of these people that, come out with us on the road and help out behind the scenes at festivals and help drive, uh, drive us from place to place are now out of work. And these are people that don't make a lot of money to begin with and really put so much love into the music and into our whole scene. So I just wanted to like give a shout out to those folks and, and let people know there's a lot of different avenues right now where you can support those people. And uh, I think it's important that we do that right now because when we come back from all of this, we're going to need them more than ever. You know what I'm saying? Well, hopefully we get back to it sooner than later, man. And I hope that I get to hang with you soon and and make some music and, and hear the band play again. Hell yeah, dude. We'll be, you know, we'll get back to it. Uh, at least maybe some modified version of what we had before. Who knows? Um, you know, nobody can say. I don't have yeah. a theory. I'm just waiting. 
Yeah. Well, if you find yourself in California, you're always welcome here, man. And I got a studio. You can come cut a track. And you're in California now. Yeah, I moved to LA. Got a got a house out here and a, a nice big studio space where just what? creating all the time. Yeah, man. Damn. So if you ever need a all little right. sunshine, a little break, come on out, dude. That sounds dope. We were planning on coming through LA. You know, we were going to be playing out there, and we we're really looking forward to it. Um, but shit, I think we we're. Well, we we're gonna open up for Jason Isbell. Is the Greek in uh, L.A.? Yep, yep. Yeah, that's we we're about to do that with Jason Isbell, but I don't even. Well, yeah, we probably aren't now. Hopefully, well, know. hopefully it'll get rescheduled. I'd actually listened to a, a podcast with him yesterday, the Broken Record podcast. He was great. I really dig him. Yeah, me too, dude. He's a badass guitar player, man. Yeah, he can play. Cool, man. Well, I'll let let you get back to uh, all the hard work that you're doing over there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm getting ready to clean out my garage here. Yeah, man. I've been watching you uh, work on uh, work on one of those cars. You had one you were working on, uh, restoring. I can't remember what it was. I got this one. It's a 66 Chevelle four-door. Nice. And I got a new engine and tranny and new gears in the back and everything, and I'm getting ready to convert it to EFI and redo the whole suspension and shit. So, it'll, I mean, this thing's going to be like a full-on pro-touring car when I'm done with it. Nice, man. It's going to be sick. Nice. All right, man. Well, good luck with that. And thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Right on, dude. Love you, Krez. Have a great day, man. Appreciate you, brother. Love you too, man. And we'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Peace. I want to thank Billy Strings for being on the show today. Such a cool dude and such a great musician. It was really cool to hear more about his history and his life story and just to get to know him. To wrap up the show today, I want to play a song off of Billy's new album, Home. This one's called Taking Water. Walked away. There's no 
left with them to stay And we just look the other way This old boat is taking water It won't be long till it goes down Had enough to push us over Time to turn the wheel around Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.